God, we praise you that we have a hope that doesn't end at the nativity. Lord, that we have a hope that does not stop at the birth of our Savior, but that extends to the cross, the grave, the resurrection, and the hope that He will return and He will reign forevermore. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. And uh, if you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, and uh, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, that's okay, there's one uh, in the pew in front of you, and uh, if you're using that Bible, it's going to be on page 1016, and I encourage you to turn there, make sure everyone's got a copy of God's Word, and turn to that uh, text in Luke chapter 1. And I'm curious, so, see how many of you remember that, which is a silly question, because I know a majority of you grew up without much of the technology we have today. But say you uh, wanted to get somewhere that you didn't know where it was before you had one of these. What would you use? A map, okay. Use a map. And then there was this kind of awkward in-between where you had a cell phone, but that phone couldn't give you directions, and so they came out with another type of technology there temporarily. What was that? A GPS. So you, you went from your map, your big atlas, to your GPS, and uh, one of the features on said GPS... Uh, if you decided that you knew where you were going better than the GPS, it would say what to you? Rerouting or recalculating. And yeah, make, make the next U-turn, turn around. And if you decided to continue doing this on your own and making your own decisions as to where you wanted to go, you would hear the thing seemingly get frustrated, recal- recal- recalculating, recalculating. Eventually you might shut it off, right? Or if you go back before GPS, the recalculating took place in the passenger seat. Right? How many of you had the privilege of being that person who had to handle the map? And this was the worst possible job. I'm, at least I think it was. And I'll never forget that we were on our way to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And uh, we were showing cattle at the time, and so we were going to a cattle show up there. And uh, my dad had gone ahead of us, and it was my mom, my sister, and I. We were in the car driving to Milwaukee, and it's at night, and it's a little bit snowy. And we were in wall-to-wall truck traffic, and my mom missed our exit. And my sister gets the wonderful job of being in the passenger seat at this point. And this was before GPS, before cell phones directed you. And so she opened the map, and in the dark, as we're headed into downtown Milwaukee. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in downtown Milwaukee, but as you enter downtown Milwaukee, there are interstate roads going everywhere. And I'll never forget that experience of me sitting in the middle seat of our van and wondering if we were actually going to end up at our destination ever or if uh, we were just going to end up driving somewhere completely uh, distance away from where we were headed. Now, the, the reason I open with this is because it illustrates 
a reality in each one of our lives where we often find ourselves at a crossroads or at an end pass where we wonder what the next turn really should be. And in those moments, in those times, we tend to resort back to our own control and our own ability to determine where should I turn next, where should I go, what should I do. And you may face some major shifts when God decides, no, you're not going to go that direction. And you find yourself saying, recalculating. I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do with this because this is not at all the direction that I had planned for myself to go. Now, I'm thoroughly convinced that each one of you, if not having experienced this presently in your life right now, you have definitely experienced this sometime in the past. Would you all agree that at some point you've wondered, where am I supposed to go next? How about, would you agree that there have been seasons of your life where God has taken you on a journey that you definitely did not expect, okay? Now this morning, we're going to look at a perspective in the Christmas narrative of Scripture where some drastic things changed. And it left this individual with a choice of how they were going to respond. And so I want us to look specifically at this, this individual and ask ourselves the question, how would we respond? And maybe more emphatically, how do we respond when God shifts the course of our life in an unexpected way right here and now? And so if you don't get anything else out of today, here's the main idea I want to communicate to you from this text. And it's, it's a challenge. It's this. Don't miss God's purposes just because it doesn't line up with your plan. Don't miss God's purposes just because it doesn't line up with your plan. And I know many of you just in hearing that wrestle with that reality. And so I don't want to leave it to my words. I want to leave it to the narrative itself to communicate this situation all too clearly and challenge us to consider how we might respond as well. So I'm going to start reading in Luke chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 26 this morning. Verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Everyone say Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. 
And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Heavenly Father, as we look at this text now and specifically at the person of Mary, may you challenge us, convict us, and bring us clarity as to how we can better respond when things don't go as we planned them to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I want to start by identifying what we know based on this text about Mary. And there's three specific things I want to point out. The first one is that she is a virgin. In verse 27, it says that Gabriel came to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. So never been married before. Culturally, she was probably very young. Now, we don't know that specifically from the text. Though you can speculate that the standard age for a young woman and a young man to become betrothed and married was in their early teenage years. That was not uncommon in culture at this time. So if you hear someone talk about, well, Mary was very young, that is an implied cultural reference based on what we know about this time period. The second thing we see here is in the same verse, verse 27, that she is betrothed to a man named Joseph. And we talked about Joseph a few weeks back, and this whole idea of betrothal was a legally binding arrangement. This was not simply an engagement that could be broken off at any time. This would have legally declared them as married individuals. And then they would enter this period of waiting, usually around a year's time, where it would allow the future husband to prepare for his future family. It would also allow the future wife's family to prepare for losing a member of their family, which in that day and age was crucial to the operation of day-to-day household necessities. So she's a virgin, she's betrothed to Joseph, and the third interesting reality here is that we see she is a relative to Elizabeth. Verse 36, the angel specifically identifies to Mary, Behold, your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age has also conceived a son. Now that is another amazing, miraculous narrative that I would encourage you to start at the beginning of Luke. It's in Luke chapter 1. And walks through this miraculous nature of Elizabeth conceiving a child in her old age. And then as we read further, we understand that this child that she has conceived becomes who we know as John the Baptist. Who was prophesied to foretell the coming of Jesus himself. So significant here. Significant 
truths about what we know regarding Mary. Now, beyond this, we don't know a whole lot about Mary. Everyone say, we don't know. And that's okay, all right? And it's important that we acknowledge the minimal amount that we actually know about her rather than add to what Scripture already says. We don't know what kind of hardship that she had faced at this point in her life. We don't know where she's at mentally or emotionally leading up to this drastic change. But that doesn't mean church, that she was someone who had it all together. Now, the reason I emphasize this is because we often convince ourselves that God will only use people who somehow have it all together to accomplish His purposes. There is nothing in this text to indicate that somehow Mary had this perfect life and that's why God chose her. And I want to emphasize that even further by identifying throughout Scripture the people that God chose to use to accomplish His purposes were not perfect people. Everyone say they weren't perfect. And now you're going to turn to your neighbor and you say, you're not perfect. And now you're going to say about yourself, I'm not perfect. Okay? And, spoiler alert, that's why we should celebrate this time of year, amen? Because the amazing reality is that none of us are at a place where we're deserving of God's choosing, and yet God has chosen that which is foolish in the world's eyes to glorify His name. And so... I pause here to emphasize there's nothing here that reveals that Mary somehow had this life that was exuberantly above and beyond what you might imagine a a normal person's life would be. And yet God still used her to accomplish something incredible, something miraculous. Now, the second thing I want to evaluate and look at based in this narrative is what did the angel Gabriel actually say to her? And the first thing we see in verse 30, after he appears, he says to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Don't be afraid. Now, there's many reasons that he would have said that. The most prominent would be that all of a sudden there's an angel standing in Mary's house. Okay? You would probably be needed to... Calm down too. He says, don't be afraid. This, this is not bad news. The second thing that we see in verse 31 is that he tells her she's going to become pregnant and have a child. It says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And the next thing we know is who this child will be named. What this child will be named. You shall call his name Jesus. Following right after that, he identifies this isn't going to be just an ordinary child that you're going to have. 
he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. That is a lot jam-packed into a short sentence. I don't know about you, but nothing like this was said about any of my children before they were born. Okay? And that's a good thing, because there's one Savior. And so what the angel announces here, we don't see... That he announces, that, that God announces anything similar to this any other place in scripture. About another child that's to be born. It's significant in the narrative of the whole. In verse 35, the angel tells her that this child's gonna be conceived by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, I want you to step back and put yourself in Mary's shoes here for a second. This is a lot to process. And this is all happening at one time. This isn't, we're not talking about a day in between each little piece here. She's, she's sitting here in the presence of the angel Gabriel. And he's declaring these truths to her from God and she is taking all of this in. And so it's notable that in verse 36, he encourages her in the sense that, Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. Verse 37, for nothing, everyone say nothing, will be impossible with God. And so when you come and you see the breadth of what we know about Mary, you see what the angel communicated to her, the most glaring question has to come back to this reality of, how did she respond? Because if you're anything like me, I read these stories, I read these narratives specifically, and I think, if I'm in that person's shoes, what's going through my mind at this point? And if you've never thought about or read scripture in that light, I'd encourage you to do so because it brings it to a whole new life. And so I find myself gripping the edge of my seat and saying, how, how did she respond to this? How is she processing these things? How is she coming to grips with this total life change? Is she considering how this is going to impact the rest of her life? Is she in her brain trying to figure out how she's going to recalculate the path that she anticipated she was going to be on? And so we see some interesting responses that I believe we can resonate with greatly. The first one in verse 29, when the angel appears to her, when Gabriel appears to her for the first time, it says she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She was fearful. As I would anticipate any one of us should be in the presence of an angel of the Lord. And we see that response consistently throughout scripture. When an angel of the Lord appears before men, they are immediately 
respond, they, they usually immediately respond by hitting the floor. And so there's an element of fear here in her response. Now, I want to encourage you in this. I believe, based on what we see in Scripture, that fear is our own human's natural response to God shifting things in a way we didn't anticipate. In Judges chapter 7, Gideon is a man who's faced with an enormous task to defeat an army with just a handful of guys. And God is gracious and he communicates to Gideon, Hey Gideon, rise up and go down and defeat the Midianites. And then he says, but if you're still fearful, go, go down in the camp. And guess what Gideon does? He, he goes down in the camp. What does that reveal about him? It reveals that, God, I'm scared. I know that you're, you're here, but I'm scared. And in the rest of that narrative, God brings him down to the camp and he hears these soldiers talking about dreams they'd had and the fears that these soldiers had regarding Israel and their, the army that, that Gideon had. And he goes back to the camp with confidence. In a similar way, in Exodus chapter 4, we see a man named Moses who God calls out specifically and says, I want you to go lead my people out of Egypt. And this, we're not talking about a little town here. We're talking about millions of people who are a part of the nation of Israel. And Moses is trying to think of any excuse he can find to get out of doing this task. And what he lands on is, God, I, 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 I can't speak well. And God says, oh, it's okay, I'll take care of that. God raises up a man named Joshua, and in Joshua chapter 1, we see a passage that's quoted often in Scripture, where God says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Why? For the Lord your God goes with you wherever you go. And so when we read that the initial response to the angel announcing this to Mary is fear, we should sigh in relief because we're not alone. Oh, she was afraid too. She was wondering what this was all about. And I want to encourage you, when you face a circumstance in your life that is different than what you've intended the course of your life to look like, don't feel like you can't feel in that moment what your instinct is to feel. God already knows that's where you're going. There's no sense in hiding that from Him. The second thing we see here in verse 34 specifically is that there's some confusion. Mary said to the angel, how will this be? I'm, I'm a virgin I'm not getting how I'm going to be with a child. I hear what you're saying, but I'm confused. I don't know about you, but there have been circumstances in my life where God made it clear that this is the direction that he is taking me. And I go, how? How many of you have asked that question before when you've seen something? Okay. That's an okay question to ask. Can I just say that? 
a lot of times we spend so much thinking that we can't ever doubt, we can't ever question, we can't ever struggle with what God's doing in our life. And I want to challenge you as as a church that sometimes the ways we grow the most is when we spend time with God, questioning His plans, yearning for answers, but trusting Him in the midst of that. There's fear, there's confusion, but it doesn't end there. The angel gives this example, and then in verse 37 says, Nothing will be impossible with God. And then in verse 38, we see this response. That every time I come back to this, I, I feel like God humbles me a little more. Because she simply responds, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The last response we see, specifically in this chapter, is highlighted in Mary's specific song, starting in verse 46 and going through 55, where it simply begins, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now, I want to turn the tables and ask you the question that I've been wrestling with all week. How would you respond? How would you respond if you're sitting in Mary's shoes? Now, guys, you don't need to take this literally, okay? That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is, how would you respond if God made it so clear that life was going to be significantly different than what you planned? And more present day, how do you respond? Because we all respond some way. Some of us respond in unbelief. We don't believe that God directs these things, so we don't even care. Even if it was right in front of us. And Jesus even identifies that in the New Testament, where he says in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, where the rich man goes to hell and says, Can I just come back and tell my family to tell the people I love? That this isn't a joke. And the response is simply this. They have the prophets. They have the word. If they don't believe that, even if someone comes back from the dead, they still won't believe. So some of you would respond in that way. Some of us respond in fear, and that's where we sit. We're constantly afraid. And we sit in that fear. And so we never move forward because we're always afraid of what's going to happen. Some of us respond in exuberance. And sometimes even over-exuberance so much so that we don't actually pay attention to what God's doing. And we just run towards where we think He's going. Okay? But Mary acknowledges several things in her response I am a servant of the Lord. Grasp that. Not of myself, not of the people around me. I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. According to what the angel said would be. According 
to the word from the messenger of the Lord, according, according to the word of God, let it be according to that. Mary had plenty of reasons for doubting God's plan, didn't she? This happened before she was officially married. It happened, Jesus was born in a location that required her to place her newborn in a feeding trough. I have to believe that many of you mothers here would question God's plan and probably your husband if you had to lay your newborn in a feeding trough. Okay? But understand this. Mary did not dismiss God's purposes just because it didn't line up with her plan. Did she? Now, some of you will hear that main idea and you will try to use it to justify a destructive pattern of behavior that's causing you hardship in your life. I am not saying that somehow your self-induced hardship is a result of God's plan. Okay? And what I mean by that is we make bad choices and bad choices have bad consequences. That is... Four-year-old discipline 101. Okay? It applies to us the same way. And we cannot look at a passage like this and say, no matter what happens, it has to be a part of God's plan. So my addiction is then a part of God's plan. And the way I treat my wife poorly is a part of God's plan. And the downfall in my marriage is a part of God's plan. No, 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 no. Much of those things are of your own doing. Yet, when God decides to shift our course in a line with His Word and His will, and it is difficult, what I'm saying is it's worth it. I'm saying that when you're striving to be more like Jesus and less like the world and are attacked as a result, it's worth it. I'm saying that when God clearly speaks through His Word, through another person, or even through the conviction of His Spirit and challenges you to recalculate the direction you are going, it's worth it to listen and to heed that instruction. Mary's simple response, Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your words. Some of you here today are wrestling with that response in and of itself. And you're wrestling with this reality because there is such a severe shift taking place in your life that is so far outside of the realm of what you expected the course of your life to go that this can't possibly be God's plan. And I would challenge you in that to evaluate your own attitude towards what God is doing in you and ask, are you more focused on what this inconvenience is doing to your perceived route Or are you focused on what God's trying to do in you through it? And so often we get distracted and dismiss God's purposes because this wasn't my plan. 
And I would challenge you in the midst of that to be more like Mary. In her perspective, she had every reason to doubt, every reason to go the other way, and yet she chose to say, I'm a servant of the Lord. Be to it to me according to what you've said. And so I'm going to grit down and I'm going to walk through this. And she had to then step out and go and tell her betrothed, Joseph, what had just taken place. And she would have had to stand before her family and tell them what had taken place. And she would have known that. And known, usually, culturally, what took place. And yet she ran towards what God had for her. Now, the cool thing is the story doesn't end there, does it? And as we shift to a focus on communion on this Sunday before Christmas, I want to turn your attention to John chapter 12. And I'm going to ask the men who are serving communion to go ahead and come forward in preparation of this. And a little, little cool fact here for you, a little history fact. I don't know how many of you actually know why we call Christmas Christmas, but it actually has its origins clear back in Roman culture where they would gather and take what would be called Eucharist, what we call communion, to celebrate and have a feast in celebration of the birth of Jesus, and they called it Christ's Mass. And so if you're ever wondering where that name came from, historically, that's where it came from. And that's exactly what we're going to do this morning as we celebrate and think about why Jesus came and the hope that is there. And in John chapter 12, I'm going to read Jesus' words himself later on in his ministry. In John chapter 12, verse 44, it says, And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him for I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that this, that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Jesus was very clear on why God sent him to this earth. And he makes it really clear himself. And when we take communion, it's this that we are remembering. But it shouldn't just be this. It should be all of who Jesus was and all that he accomplished. For what purpose? 
The Father who sent me has himself given me a command, what to say and what to speak, and I know that this command is eternal life. Everyone say eternal life. And so if you believe that, if you believe that Jesus came as the only way to eternal life, then we want to encourage you to take communion. That's something we share together as followers of Christ. But I want to caution you in the same way. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul cautions the church and says, you need to make sure you're taking this in a right manner. And so if you're unsure or if you have undealt with sin in your life or things that you're just not confident that you're where you should be in relationship with the Lord, pass it by. And I say that As someone, when we were in our leadership meeting this last week, we recognized that we probably don't pass by communion enough in recognition of how sacred it is in our own lives. That we diminish this to mean nothing in our life other than that's something we do once a month when we come to church. And so I want to challenge you, in light of this Christmas season... And in light of what we know Jesus said his purpose was in coming, to evaluate and say, am I in the right place with the Lord? And if not, then this time is for you to focus on what will it take for me to get there. And maybe you need to spend the rest of the service focusing on that. And if you do that, and you come to me afterwards and you say, you know what, I needed that time, and I I would like to take communion now, I will take communion with you personally. So that you know that you are doing this in right standing with God. Alright? And so as we do so, I want you to reflect upon these things. I want you to reflect on your own life and your own response to this message. This message of hope that started even before Jesus was born. That God laid this plan out. And then trust Him with whatever you're facing today. Father, as we take this, may we do so in a way that's glorifying and honoring to You. And may we do so in a way that encourages us to step out into what you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.